Hannah is maybe my absolute favorite person to ride a roller coaster with. She's terrified of heights. Yes. She hates thrills, but she likes roller coasters. I, specifically, <laughs> specifically, I love the feeling when you go down the hill and your stomach drops. It's yes. my favorite feeling in the world. It's a great feeling, but you scream so intensely and so loud that it just makes me laugh. It makes it such an enjoyable experience just to hear you screaming. It sounds like a murder scene. It does. And the best thing is one time Hannah um, was riding with a, a woman and her children in a cart. And me and my brother were in the cart together because we would switch up who's paired together. Um, and we were on the, the ride after Hannah. And <laughs> the cart um, where we were in line, it comes around the corner. And we just hear screaming and when you could see them this woman is dying she's laughing so hard so then we started laughing because there everyone else is also getting enjoyment out of hannah's screaming so it was a grand great time yeah shout out to dollywood shout national. out to dollywood and shout out to dolly parton national treasure we love dolly i'd love to get her on the podcast sometime <laughs> we'll hit her up after this sounds like a plan we got that we got that tennessee connection that is true Close to Pigeon Forge. <laughs> it sounded like you said Pigeon Porch. <laughs> yeah, the Pigeon Porch. Pigeon Forge. Welcome to Research, Rank, and Repeat. This is Hannah. This is Alyssa. So Cars 3. Yes. We're here. 2017. 2017. Cars 3 is rated G. Mm -hmm. Had a runtime of an hour and 42 minutes. Somehow all the Cars movies are like the longest Pixar movies. Yeah, which is weird. Which is very strange because you almost don't need the time. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, all right, you can continue now. Yeah, I just so, thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. So box office, uh, $383 million. And it took a really deep dive down from Finding Dory. Oh, well, that makes sense because it's Finding Dory. Right. I also have to wonder if Cars 2 had anything to do with that. I bet it did. Because that was just such a bad movie that I imagine it probably hurt their box office. I I think it would. I think because maybe it kind of tarnished the Cars right. legacy, you might say. Mm -hmm. So Cars 3 had a uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 70%. It had a Metacritic score of 59 out of 100. And a Cinema score of A. It's interesting that, that it has such a low Cinema score. Because the last uh, Pixar movie that had below a 60 out of 100 was Cars 2. And it was only two points lower than Cars 3. See, that's not fair. I 100% agree. So, Cars 3, it's blindsided by a new generation of racers. Lightning McQueen is pushed out of the sport he loves. To get back in the game, he'll need the help of young racing technician Cruz Ramirez, plus inspiration from an old friend. All these descriptions I'm getting are from Disney Plus's website. So... 
we saw this movie together on Netflix mm-hmm. maybe, what, two years ago? And I don't really remember having any opinion about it. I don't remember liking it. I don't remember hating it. But I don't know if it's because I watched Cars 1 and then Cars 2 and then got to Cars 3. But this is my favorite Cars movie. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. I, like, was surprisingly okay with it. My first note was that they did the callback to Cars with that, which I thought was one of the best Pixar intros. I agree. Was that just black screen with lightning talking. And I love that they went back to that in the third movie. Yeah, my first thought was that I noted with the intro, I'm like, this is what Cars 2 should have been. Because mm-hmm. the thing I always went back to in Cars 1 is that Doc's the best character. And I, I think I mentioned in the Cars 2 discussion that I thought he should have been more prevalent. And I was like, this is what they should have done. They should have focused on Doc and his legacy and and Lightning kind of coming to terms with that. Yeah, and I mean, the second movie, they maybe mentioned him in like one sentence. I think they mentioned him right at the very beginning. And that was it. And I said they've already mentioned Doc more times in the first minute than they did all of last movie. Yeah. This movie surprised me maybe more than any other Pixar movie because of the low expectations I had. And I wonder it's because I hate I hated Cars 2 with a passion and I really strongly disliked Cars that I think maybe that just made this seem way better. I don't know if it's a bias know. because of how poorly but it was I also to start. I think it's a pretty good movie. I agree. It had a really good plot. I like the new characters. The new characters were really good. The distinct lack of Mater. Great. Yeah. Great decision. And I think... You still got some of the old characters. Obviously, a lot of callbacks with Doc. You still got some Sally. And they actually make you like Lightning McQueen. Yeah. I have not liked him in any of the previous movies, and I really liked him. And it's interesting to me that I feel like this is one of those rare movies where the third movie happens to just be the best of the whole series. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. No. I mean, the bar is low, but it doesn't happen very often. But I think what they did is... They went back to the things that worked in the original Cars. Yes. And they made them better. Cars 2 went so far from where the first Cars movie was. And I like that this movie brought it back to just a racetrack. Added new interesting characters. Added a better plot line. Like a thicker plot. A better story for Lightning McQueen as well. And made him likable in a way that Cars 2 never did. I agree, because now he's at this point where he's, you know, he's seasoned. He's been doing this for a long time, and there's this next generation that's just plain better than him. Yeah. He can't compete. And I think, too, I like I like that the parallels between him and Ramirez with Doc and him when he was training, I really like that aspect. I think one thing that I hated about Cars 2 was the humor was not good. In they missed angry. it so badly. And I think this movie went back to more of like the subtle humor. I liked actually liked a lot of the humor. And it was in this. good. I laughed a couple times. I liked the simulator part where yeah. he was like, You've crashed through a wall. You yeah. Have, yeah. And I felt like I don't know, they made this movie more than just for kids. I think that it as we've discussed, they played to their strengths. Yeah. Doc was clearly a strength mm-hmm. from the first movie and they still make him the best character even though he's dead. Yeah. I think one thing I really liked was the time jump they did. I agree. So they had the crash, and then instead of doing his aftermath right after, 
they went four months ahead. It left you wondering, first off, what actually had happened. Second, it kind of leaves you in the dark on what he's been through the past four months, which I enjoy. I think it made the story a lot more intriguing to me. And I also, I mean, one of the things I enjoy the most was even when Mater was in scenes, I didn't almost mind it because he was barely in them. And also, he wasn't stealing the focus away from the overall story that his annoyingness kind of worked in this movie because I didn't mind it as much. I Yeah, I didn't mind him either. I was glad that he wasn't as in the front focus as he was in the previous sequel because that was way too much. Yeah. Can we just talk about Cruz for a minute? I love Cruz. Because I think a really strong new character and I think it's such a compelling story because she has always been told she couldn't be something. Which is the complete opposite of Lightning McQueen where he was always like, Mm -hmm. I'm the best. You know, he had so much confidence to start and she doesn't have that she and everyone like build the confidence yeah everyone boosted lightning's ego and she's in the position where everyone's been tearing her down so she doesn't have any sort of confidence she has confidence in her job of being a trainer but she doesn't have any confidence in the race world and i love that she's better than him yeah and all the stuff they're doing like she's better than him and learns from him and and he when he realizes that he can't beat her in that last dirt race, mm-hmm. I don't know. I loved that. I loved that he was able to grasp that and he came to that realization. And he's like, even though I did all this training and went back to my roots and racing's roots, I still can't do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring up that scene later. Oh, okay. But I even thought that when they went to that monster truck rally. like it was entertaining. That was entertaining. I love those characters. I love how at the end they had him in the bar watching. I liked like that. I just I thought it, a lot of things worked really well. The only thing I'll say that maybe was a bit of an issue for me was there was a maybe 10 or 15 minute segment in the middle where it just got really slow for me. I did really like them going to where Doc kind of trained and learned everything. I agree. Was Smokey? Smokey, yes. Smokey was the guy who had the bar. Was his mentor. Was, was his Doc's mentor. mentor. Yeah. So I like that you get to see his past even more. And I love the part where Lightning goes into Doc's barn. Smokey comes up and is like, he had never been happier than when he was training with you. Yeah, we'll talk about that yeah. later as well. But I just thought that there were so many of those like really good scenes. Small that, moments. Yeah. And I like, there didn't have to be these big action sequences to make it a good movie. They could rely on those small character interactions. There were even scenes with like Sally and Lightning that I really liked. I just, I liked that they didn't have to rely on like a bunch of side stuff. I felt like Cars 2, they were relying so much on like this spy action and they missed out on the simple moments. It was absolutely ridiculous. There was no need for any of that. No. And it, I, I think Cars 3 is exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. I honestly don't think they could have made a better Cars sequel. No, and I think Cars 3 might have actually, for me, saved the series. I think it's a good end. Like, I don't, I hope they don't make any more sequels. It's a good end. It ends well. Lightning McQueen is now in this mentor role. He gets a new paint coat and he gets to keep it. Yeah. Because that was my issue with the first movie is he got this nice new paint job. I got rid of it. And these nice new tires and it was gone in five minutes. Whereas this one, he gives blue. And I'm like, yeah, work it. 
I like that the ending was realistic. Again, I've brought this up a couple of times in Pixar movies. They tend to do these realistic endings where Lightning realizes that he's not going to be able to keep up with these new racers, even with all the training and everything like that. And he understands that he kind of needs to move out of the way and let other people, younger people, kind of become what he became. And he learns from Doc because he always thought, you know, Doc was so crushed when he was unable to race anymore. And he, you know, comes to realization that, no, he loved being a mentor. He loved being able to teach the next generation and support them and be a good role model. Yeah. So John Rotzenberger plays Mac again. Reprising his role. Yep. I guess you could count any of the races as chase scenes. Yeah, I suppose. Or even the, like, monster truck. Monster truck or... like, chase scenes. Yeah. So ready to move on to our favorites? Yeah. I mean, so for me... Want to do favorite character first? Sure. I wanted to do Doc, but I went with McQueen. It's funny you say that because my... What I wrote down, Doc, if cheating, if you can cheat and use a dead character, and then I said Lightning McQueen, if not. Yeah. I mean, I technically think you could use a dead character... But for me, this is what I wish he would have been like in Cars 2. A hundred percent. the end of Cars, I mean, it was so rushed. It was like within 10 minutes he learned everything. But they ended it like he had learned this big story. And then you go to Cars 2 and he's back to the same character he was in, in the beginning of um, Cars 1. And what makes it worse is that Cars is, is still the longest Pixar movie. Yeah. And how they butchered that ending by making it so rushed, even though it's the longest and they had the most time to work yeah. with the story... It's unfortunate. Yeah. So I like this because it, it allowed McQueen to really show the audience that he has grown and that he's willing to do whatever to help out someone else. Yeah, he's able to adapt and learn and grow mm-hmm. and learn from his mistakes, become a better person in the process. And I think, I think yeah, I really liked him in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I honestly didn't have a problem with him. No. You know, he blew up, but it was understandable, you know, times when he was upset thinking about not being able to race anymore after the crash, things with uh, Cruz. I liked all of it. Yeah. So favorite scene, I we kind of talked about it, but it's, yeah, that scene when McQueen is racing Cruz, and it's just the moment when it's just silence, and it's just his face, and he realizes he can't do it anymore. He can't keep up with her. That expression. Yeah. And it's the moment that he needs to allow Cruz to become, like, the new star but it's just that silence in his face just tells you everything. I just it's, loved it. It's very powerful. And it's such a small moment. It's a very small moment. But I was like blown away. I really think, yeah, Cars 3 did small moments so well. Mm-hmm. And we also kind of talked about the scene that was my favorite scene, but it's when um, Sparky, right? Oh, is it Sparky? I've been calling oh, it Smokey. Smokey, it's probably Smokey. Maybe it's Sparky. I think it's Smokey. So Smokey takes McQueen to the garage and just shows him all the letters that Doc has written him over the years and talking about how happy he was. I think it was a good learning moment and growth for him to realize that like there's more to racing than just being a star. Like you can be go beyond your stage. Yeah. Instead of being a racer, he can go on to better things and become, you know, a good mentor you can kind of grow and move on. It's like athletes who become coaches right. or sports commentators. You know, you can you can use your knowledge in a different way. Mm-hmm. So my favorite quote, I was going to do the one in the barn where he says he was never as happy as when he trained you or whatever. 
But I gotta give my girl Bonnie Hunt a shout out because... We know you love Bonnie Hunt. Sally was like the best part about Cars, let's be honest. Is it from the scene when he's, before he's getting ready to get back out there? Yeah. Okay, because I thought about doing that one. She says, don't fear failure, be afraid of not having the chance. And I was like, that's so true though in real life. People are so afraid of not reaching their goals that they just don't even go for them. And it's like, you never know, unless you try. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. You got one shot. One opportunity. Yes. Capture the wolf. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> just, okay. That would have, if I, on my silly note here, if I would have picked a serious quote, that's the one I would have yes. picked as well. I picked a, a funny quote. It's when they're on the beach and he just goes, well, life's a beach and then you drive. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I love it. Great. I didn't pick up on that one either. And then I remember I did rewind it because I was like, wait, did I hear that right? Yeah, I just thought it was a fun quote. I just, I thought it was, that's a good example of the humor. I just, like, I was like, that's good. I like it. I think if Cars 3 was just summarized as anything, it would have just been, like, simple. It was a a nice, like, breezy kind Mm -hmm. of movie. And it was, like, very story-focused and very character-focused and not this grand, epic adventure. You know, like, Cars 3 is just kind of like, here it is. It was just so nice to watch. I really liked it. You know, I... I'm sh- kind of shocked that I liked this movie as much as I did. Yeah. If we're talking about just strictly pick- Pixar sequels up to this point, mm-hmm. like I might only like one other one more. Yeah. I know which one you're thinking of. Yeah. But uh, visually too. I really like the montage when they're like driving across road trip. Yeah. Yeah. Just good on you, Cars 3. All around good. Yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised i have such good things to say about it yeah i don't remember liking it that much the first time we watched it i don't either you redeemed yourself somehow pulled it together somehow figured it out come back kid all right we are in the home stretch now four left yes (laughs) are you you just not gonna i was gonna i was trying to think of a joke or a pun and nothing came to mind I'm cuckoo for Cocoa. <laughs> cuckoo for Cocoa Puff, okay. Santa. Let's just stop. There's your joke. You wanted a joke. There you go. I got nothing. Okay. Let's just let's just go into it. The movie is Coco. 2017. 2017. It's rated PG. I wonder if it's because there's spooky, scary skeletons. Maybe. It is almost October. It's spooky really- season. Yep, to Halloween. Real spooky this year. Oh, God. Yeah. Saturday Halloween. What a shame. It yeah. been great. Well. Maybe next year. <laughs> so anyway, Coco is an hour and 44 minutes long. How about you hit us with those box office Oh, yes, numbers? yes. I forgot what we were doing. Okay. Box office, $807 million. Wait, say that again? 807 Oh, I think you said 107, no. and I went, that can't no. be right. 807. Yeah, 807 million. Okay, yes. perfect. Sounds about right. So, Coco has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic score of 81, and an A-plus cinema score. A-plus, plus, plus, plus. Oh, boy. That will be in a future podcast. 
Will it? Best Christmas oh, movies. Best Christmas movies. You're right. Coming soon. The Bumpus Hounds. Oh, were you going to say something? <laughs> were you done? I, I was going to talk about awards. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Coco was nominated and won Best Animated Feature of that year. It also won Best Original Song. For Remember Me? Yes. Okay. I was trying to think of which one it would have been, and I was like, It was yes, Remember, Remember me. me. I looked it up. Okay. Um, so, summary. In Disney Pixar's Extraordinary Adventure, a boy who dreams of becoming a great musician embarks on a journey to undercover the mysteries behind his ancestors' stories and traditions. Uh, what was your first note? So, my first note was actually, is this Pixar's first proper musical? In the, in, the, in the general sense of there being characters singing their own songs. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pixar movies have had songs, but... But in the sense of a musical, and I can't think of a different one where they actually, like, were singing, you know, the, the songs as part of the movie, I can't speak. So, well, there's Wheezy singing in Pixar, uh, not Pixar 2, Toy Story 2, yeah. but that's, like, 30 seconds at the end. Right, and it's not... I wouldn't really count that as, And like, you also have Mike and Sully's duet, If I Didn't Have You. It plays in the credits. Yeah, I kind of wiped that out of my memory. <laughs> it's not a great song, but they also don't sing it in the movie. It's a post-credit right. type thing. Okay, so mine was just, like, the animation right at the beginning, with how bright the colors were, and they did the whole intro with the paper cutouts. Like, the storybook-type yeah. animation. I love that. Oh, I... Because I don't remember that. No, I didn't either, and it, it felt so much different than a lot of Pixar's intros, in that... There was just so much color. There was just the way they were able to show a story just with no people, and, actually. And also allow for, like, the cultural right. representation as well. Because, I mean, this movie very much is rooted. It's, uh, how am I trying to say this? A lot of Pixar movies I don't feel like have had a huge, like, cultural, um, I don't know what the word Influence? I'm to say. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is one of, maybe one of the first of Pixar's where they've actually kind of revolved the, everything in the story it always goes back to the culture and it's also a real life thing yeah like it's based on uh, right. Dia de, de los Muertos Dia de los Muertos uh, which is dead. a real life holiday it lasts starts on October 31st yes and it runs until November 2nd yeah okay um, do you have any interesting facts about the movie yes I do I actually looked up some stuff about the movie, um, and so what I found out is Coco's budget was $175 million, and it's the first film with a nine-figure budget to feature an all-Latino principal cast. Interesting. Yeah. Live action and animated? It just says uh, first film, so hmm. I'm assuming so. That's pretty cool. That's exciting. I feel like that's a good thing. Anytime, like, a movie can kind of do something groundbreaking like that, um, especially Pixar with it being movies that are viewed by children mostly. Right. I think that's a good thing for children to see. Oh, I definitely agree. Okay. I I really liked the way they interpret, um, not interpreted, they incorporated real life and fantasy mm -hmm. with the holiday to kind of make, it was grounded in reality. And I really liked that it seemed, at least I imagine it, it's authentic because I feel like Pixar 
usually goes very in depth mm-hmm. with the way that they, you know, with Ratatouille hiring a chef and, you know, they get very specific and try to understand and present things yeah. in a way that is um, accurate. accurate. And yeah, they definitely seem to do their research. So I, I would, I would hope that it is, um, but I agree with you. I think it really helps the plot of the movie. It makes for a really interesting plot that it's kind of back and forth between, you know, the real world and like spiritual I mean, I like the combination of the two. Also, you know, when the people come across the bridge, which is essentially like the bridge between life and death, and they're able to see their family members and everything like that, I think it's just a really unique thing that you've we've never seen before with Pixar. I also think it's, again, I, I think I talked about this with, oh, I can't remember what movie, but I like when they do concepts like death, and they make it in a way for kids that doesn't seem as scary. Maybe it was Inside Out with, like, Bing Bong or something? It could have been. I don't remember. I, I thought yeah. I mentioned that. I can't um, remember. But it's one of the things I like is when they make it, like, less... I don't know. I feel like death is obviously a touchy subject for kids and how you go about explaining that. But I like the way this movie portrayed it. Um, they even had one scene where... I forgot who it was. It was Hector's friend? His or? friend that he got the guitar from. Yeah. And he kind of was like, oh, it's like the end. And the way they had him kind of just like vanish. He got Thanos. Yes. But it wasn't as scary. <laughs> like it's Thanos just going crazy. But yeah, like I, I thought that was a, a good way to go about portraying it. I agree. I also really liked the humor in this movie. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a bit more like wacky and not like the normal humor you'd see in traditional Pixar but I thought it worked really well like all the stuff with Miguel I loved it Mm -hmm. I was really like his grandma I loved his grandma Dreed and I'm like this is great yeah I I did mention the humor I also really like uh, the music's just really great in this movie the music is Mm -hmm. is some of the best like maybe in terms of actual lyrical songs is probably the best Pixar music yeah. In that sense. Yeah, I would agree. I just think there's a lot of things the movie did really well. Um, I loved seeing the passion. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when he's, you know, in his little secret room and he's watching the video. And you can just, like, see it on his face, like, how passionate and how much he loves music and how much it means to him. And I really thought they did a great job with him and his, like, motives and his feelings. And I just thought he was a really well-developed kid. Like, a really yeah. well-developed child character. I would agree, because I, I think sometimes with kids, they tend to be just, like, one note. And I feel like with him, he's so badly wants to do this, but his family's so against it. I mean, for somewhat good reason, I guess. Understandably. Yeah, understandably. Reasons. That's what I should have said. But it's interesting to see that conflict and to see how he goes about it. And I agree with you. He's just a really good developed character. I think there was a lot of really strong side characters in this movie. Um, which I love good side characters, and I think that really helped the movie, having really compelling side characters as well. And also a really compelling villain Yeah, as well. Or villain, he's not like a traditional mm-hmm. villain in the sense, but... But they make you care about him, because at the beginning... Um, oh yeah, the passion, because Miguel yeah, loves... Yeah, Miguel like, loves yeah. him, and so you want to root for him, because Miguel's so attached to him. And then there's that moment when you figure out that he's actually kind of the villain i guess he is the villain and i would agree with you like it does make for a really compelling villain um i also think another thing i really liked was 
like the emotion we'll talk about it but <laughs> there's there's some uh some baggage yeah. tied to this movie yeah. this is We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll get to it. Um, um, yeah. Just before we get into anything else, so John Rotzenberger, he played a character named Juan. I don't know. He had braces. Okay. He was the dentist guy, I think. In the... Um, Crossing the bridge. Okay. That's... I thought I had heard his voice yeah. in that character. It was a very, very, very short, yeah. small role. There's also a Pizza Planet delivery car. I saw that. Okay. I caught that. Um, and I said visually, this is one of my favorite Pixar movies. The shot when you see like the dead world yes. and all the houses and mm-hmm. the color and the design, it it's so it's like it's like when you saw Finding Nemo for the first time yeah. and you see the water and the co- it's the same thing. It's almost like overwhelming to look at, but it's so beautiful and it's it's done so well. I love that shot. That's the one shot I was thinking of when I wrote that down. Was yeah. When they show that, it's just it, with a bridge too. It's just so. It's I don't know. I can't even speechless. I also uh, would like to say uh, Hannah is aware of this, but I notoriously hate children singers. Yes. I just I don't like children singing. It just doesn't sound right. But I wrote down. I said. I am okay with this one. Yeah, I would agree. You also like the um, children's choir in Dead to Me. Oh, I did like the children's the choir. Well, that's because it was so over-the-top yeah. ridiculous that it became enjoyable. Yeah. That's right. I did like but the children's yeah. choir in Dead to Me. No, Miguel definitely, I can handle him singing. Um, He's, I think the thing is they found a child singer who has a good voice. He's also, it's more a little bit more of a mature voice. The other thing I want to note before we get to the heavy things. Yes. I noticed at the very end of the credits that they had an advocation um, for children to go to their local libraries if they wanted to learn more about Day of the Dead. Okay. Which I thought was really, or Dia de los Muertos, if I'm, uh, you know, doing an authentic job here, which I thought was really nice that I saw, that they're like, hey, if you aren't familiar with this holiday and you want to know more, go to your library. Look it up. Yeah, I I like that because I... I think it's good to give them the introduction with a movie, and obviously it only goes so far. Um, so I like encouraging them to kind of go out on their own or <clears throat> have their parents go out and, and help them do more research and help them learn. I think, you know, the more you can learn about other people's culture, just the better it's going to be. Um, but yeah, I do like that. Let's do character first. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. I'm not ready. That's fair. That's um, fair. So I actually went with Hector. So I was neck and neck between Hector and Miguel, but I ended up picking Miguel. All right, so the reason I went with Hector is because I believe at his core, he was a good guy. And he made a mistake in going, leaving his family, but he was trying to get back to them. And he wasn't able to rectify that because there's no way for him to explain Mm -hmm. what happened. Yeah, and I said he pretty much did everything he could once he was like a spirit to try and get back. Like he was dressing up as... Frida Kahlo. Like. Oh, can we talk about Frida Kahlo yes. and her ridiculous art yes. extravaganza? I loved it. That was amazing. It kind of reminded me of the scene from Just My Luck when they go to the art and they're like, we are mud <laughs> or whatever. Yes. <laughs> That's what it kind of reminded me of. <laughs> but anyways. It was very much yeah, like that. But like he, he basically is doing everything he can just to get back. And there's something so admirable about that and... Like you said, he doesn't get a chance to explain himself because he doesn't have a picture up, so he can't get back to... I also like really like that concept. I forgot to bring that up. Basically, the way they can get back, cross over to the uh, real world, I guess, 
is if they have a photo of themselves framed. I actually really like that idea. I did too because, you know, what you explained earlier about um, Hector's friend that ends up dying mm-hmm. for, for real, that concept that eventually people get forgotten. Yeah. You know, you, like, if you think about our ancestors, like, I only know up to, like, the great-grandparents. Right. And I, you know, I'm not, don't know anything about above that. You know, right. eventually you, there's just no one who remembers pass on your story pass on your stories yeah so why'd you go with miguel over hector um it kind of has to go with what i said earlier i just out of all of the like child characters we've seen in pixar movies Mm -hmm. other than riley from inside out but that was a little different because it's she's being controlled by the emotions kind of deal right right but other than riley i think miguel is the best developed character for like a a child you know a child having you know his emotions and him you know coming to terms with his Mm -hmm. you know family and and trying to be a part of his family and but also loving music and you know gaining confidence and growing in himself and in this you know and like he's not perfect he tries to steal de la cruz's guitar from his casket yeah and he's also a kid and he's a kid it makes him it makes it more realistic because kids obviously make mistakes. They don't always follow the rules. Um, going into favorite line, we kind of talked about it a minute ago. But one of my favorite ones was, it was Hector. And he said, our memories, they have to be passed down by those who knew us in life. And the stories they tell about us. That was my runner up. Because they talked about how you can't be remembered by people in the spirit world. It has to be by people who are still alive. Who are alive, yeah. Which I... I really like that concept, and I just thought the line, like, when I heard it, I was like, oh. (laughs) And that, you know, relates to his relationship with Coco, because Coco is the only one left living who knows, and she's forgetting, you know? Yeah. And um, I kind of had a similar quote to that. That was one I was considering, but I just, I had written down this, about this quote, like, in my notes, just while watching it, but the quote is, um, Miguel is talking to... um, I can't remember Hector's wife's name. I'm blanking on her um, name. Is it Mama Imelda? Is she the one who's his wife? Yes. Okay, so Mama Imelda. Imelda. Yep. Imelda. Because he's talking to her about um, Hector. And, he, and she says, you don't have to forgive him, but we shouldn't forget him. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting lesson, you know, to... Hector left his family he left them alone they had to survive without him he did because he was poisoned and died um you know he was murdered but that like i just liked i thought it was an not that i liked that but i just thought it was a really interesting concept that it's like you don't have to forgive him but you shouldn't forget him right yeah no i I did like that line too all right i think we probably both have a favorite scene so i actually combined two scenes together But I imagine one of them one is. One of them is. So I cried four different times watching this movie. I cried three times. So do we want to get, like, personal? I was just going to say, so the first time I watched this movie was probably a couple months after it came out. I was going to say I watched it in 2018. Yeah. Since, so since the last time I've watched this movie to when we watch it now... We've lost three out of our four grandparents. Yeah, and um, while we, at the time we watched it, one of our grandparents had uh, had had dementia for many right. years and was at a point where they didn't remember who we were. Yeah, it 
definitely hit a lot harder. Oh, my God. Like, I was a mess at the end of the movie. I was sobbing. And I can imagine, like, a lot of people watching this movie, even if it's not, like, grandparents, but just, like, losing family members. Like, it, it definitely hits. But, yeah, the scene where Miguel's singing to Coco. Yes. Um, singing Remember Me, mm-hmm. and the whole family is watching, and she, like, the whole movie you're seeing her not being able to remember anything, really, and she, like, can sing the whole song along with him. And just talks about him and yeah. pulls out his photo, and, because I know, um, no, it's not for every, not every patient is the same, but I know they've said that uh, music memory mm-hmm. is really important in, in, like, Alzheimer's and dementia patients, and that that can help you know triggered they can be triggered through right. music and to remember like music therapy and stuff yeah music yeah. therapy so i what yeah, was it, your uh, you said you had two scenes. so i i kind of combined the two remember me's together like the juxtaposition mm-hmm. of hector singing it you know in, in that past scene of hector singing it to coco right. and then As miguel when singing she was a girl. it to okay. coco from when she was a girl to when she was mm-hmm. you know um like you know an elder yeah i just liked those two scenes back to back yeah both were both i cried during both of them yeah so i mean it's definitely a very passionate and emotional movie a hundred percent and it i felt like this was out of all the pixar movies it felt very personal yeah like i felt like because inside out also was yeah. personal but this is in a different way yeah where, i would like, agree yeah where it just it felt I don't know. It, it hits differently. It hits differently. Yeah. And it hit me right in the gut. Oh, it hit me in the throat. <laughs> Sucker punched me in the face. I got throat punched. <laughs> okay. I, just, I shouldn't have laughed there, but it no. was not funny. <laughs> it's not. We're just we're just emotional right now. Um, oh, it, it drained it drained all oh, the emotion sure. out of me. Let's move on to happier things. Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2. It's a, a quite different movie. Yeah. It was it, a nice break and a breather. I would agree. Um... So it came out in 2018. It did come out in 2018. It is rated PG. We know why. Mrs. Incredible and her. It was rated PG. Ass sits. Oh. It's rated PG. Okay, I got you. <laughs> it is rated PG. This. Yes. I got you. Um, but and it was also has a runtime of an hour and 58 minutes, which is one of the longest runtimes that we've had in quite a while. That's lots long. Um, so box office, 1.2 billion. Of course. We um, contributed to that. Yeah. And so it's the fourth highest grossing animated film of all time. Really? Behind. Toy Story 3? No. Finding Dory? No, it's the highest grossing Pixar film. Oh, I'd missed that. I'm I didn't sorry. say that. Can I guess? Yeah. Okay. Lion King? The 2019. Yes. Okay. Does that count as animated movie? It, does, it technically oh, does. That's bullshit. Anyways. Oh, so Beauty and the Beast, the, the live no. action. No? No. The the other two are a movie and its sequel. Think like big. Minion. Oh, uh, Incredible. No, no, no. Despicable Me? No. You're missing a big one. I'm missing a big one. Is it Disney? Yeah. Frozen. Yes. Frozen, Frozen and Frozen 2. Yeah, I completely forgot about so, it. So, yeah, so it falls behind those, but it's the it's the highest grossing Pixar film of all okay. time. Deserving. Yeah. And I mean, I think it definitely helps that Incredibles was such a strong movie. Yes. Because we've seen how, like, Cars 2 to Cars 3 was a drop. Oh. I think mostly in due to Cars 2 just sucking. Yes. But I think... And I think Pixar was so anticipated because it had been so long since the first one came out. 
I, because I remember I was talking about what the largest gap between a movie and its sequel was, and I thought we decided it was, it was going to be The Incredibles. Yeah, it was either that or Finding Nemo. But I, I think it was, I remember when trailers started coming out, we, we were hearing news about it coming out, like, it was so exciting. Oh, I was thrilled. Yeah. So, Incredibles 2 has a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a Metacritic score of 80 out of 100, and a Cinema score of A+. Hmm. It also was nominated for um, Best Original, f- Best Animated Film, but it lost. Do you have a guess for what it lost to? It came out 2018. Animated Film. Yes. Frozen I w- 2? What? Frozen 2? No. That came out in 2019. Oh. I will say it's deserving, the movie that won. I'm trying to think what came out. There was one animated movie that got a lot of praise. I feel like I should know it. Nicolas Cage is in it. Oh, that doesn't help me at all. I had no idea. Is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have not I, seen it, Because I was looking at it, and I'm like, how did Incredibles 2 not win that but year? But that makes and sense. And then I, yeah. strange, and then I went, oh, okay, that makes sense. So, summary. Well, Helen is called on to lead a campaign. <laughs> I said that weird, did I? I don't I honestly didn't hear what you to said. To bring back the supers, Bob navigates the day-to-day heroics of normal life at home with Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack, whose superpowers are about to be discovered. Their mission is derailed, however, when a new villain emerges with a brilliant and dangerous plot that threatens everything. Um, so my first note is more, I would like to start off with a question to you. Okay. Something I thought about. Incredibles 2 picks up pretty much right where the first movie left off. Do you think that was a smart choice, um, or would you have liked to see a time jump? Hmm. That is an interesting question. So, I think it works jumping right into it. I think that's better, because as, you know, the movie goes on, like, superheroes are still illegal. Like, that's still a fight, and that plot line, I think, is interesting enough to hold the story and also because we get Mrs. Incredible as the mm-hmm. lead and, like, who's more deserving of their own movie than Mrs. Incredible, to be honest. Yeah. Nobody. Yes. And I feel like a time jump could work, but then the dynamics would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Because let's say, you know, Violet and Dash, you know, are, are older. Uh, you know, if, I don't know if you're thinking, like, adults or, like, just a couple years. I was probably just thinking, like, a couple years. It's but... still, like, the dynamics are different and the dynamics of Jack-Jack are different. And I don't know. I feel like, I mean, honestly, both could work. Because yeah. Brad Bird's great and clearly can write right. in that universe, in that world. But I I think I'm happy. I'm content with the yeah. way they decided to do it. Um, So I agree with you. I think one of the reasons I liked it is because you go from the first movie where you just had them saving the city and kind of being, like, heroes to within, like, I don't know how long, probably, like, a couple probably weeks? A couple, probably a couple maybe weeks. Maybe a month? To, again, being not appreciated for what they do. And that kind of sets up the whole plot. So I think it works. I agree with you. I also think that they probably could have gotten away with doing a little bit of a time jump. But I think it was smart to pick up where we left off. And that's one of, animated's one of those movies where you can do that. Because obviously the actors and actresses physically won't look different. You can make them look the same. I mean, you potentially might have to use different voice if it's like kids who now have like really mature I know, voices. I know they had to do that with Nemo yeah. um, and Finding Dory. And you, you can had, tell. He had a different I mean, voice. 
but yeah i think it's smart i just i was just thinking about that while i was watching so i wanted to see your yeah that is interesting my first thought is not thought provoking i just liked that the disney logo was like the incredibles themed yeah that was cool that was was my first thought and that and the lighting in that first like the interrogation-esque scene is you could you could clearly see how much the animation had improved yeah. in, in human faces. And so it's really cool to see how far it's come, yeah. you know, in 14 years. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Uh. <laughs> Just, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the Underminers in the first movie is revealed, you think it's going to be the main villain for the second movie. And it, that storyline's over within like five, ten minutes. He gets away. Yeah. Um, John Ratzenberger plays the Underminer. Yeah, surprising his role. Yep. Um, another thing that I noticed because we had talked about it in our Incredibles discussion is we had talked about one of the things we had mentioned is that Mr. Incredible is obsessed with mm-hmm. his glory days and he's obsessed with the way, you know, when he was in charge and he was powerful and we talked about how Mrs. Incredible, you know, Helen is content being a mom, being a parent, not being a superhero. And here we get where Mrs. Incredible or Elastigirl is in the spotlight she's doing the hero Mm -hmm. work she's saving the world and he has to stay at home and i loved seeing that dynamic between them where he has to swallow his pride and he's like i'm gonna be a great parent and i loved seeing that one of the things i really liked is that they didn't get rid of bob wanting that so badly like they didn't just throw that away he didn't change because there there was scenes where you could tell he was fighting so hard to be happy for Helen. And there's even a part where he's like, We're, you're doing this for me. He's like, no, I meant for us. But then she's like, well, no, you can say it. And he's like, well, yeah, this is, I, my hope is that I can become a superhero again. He doesn't deny the fact that part of the reason he wants this to be successful for her is so that he can have it's his. So he can have it. Yeah. And I love the scene where they're like, we want Elastigirl to be the face Frozone fist bumps her. Yeah. He fist bumps her and Bob is like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. Right, he's like taken aback. Like Frozone is immediately supportive and yeah. he's like, yeah, you get it. And Well, and I think Frozone yeah. from the first movie too, he was more satisfied with his life too. A, su- a support role. Yeah, because yeah. remember the beginning, he's like, what if we did what our wives thought we did? Like he, I think he kind of wants normalcy as well. Yeah. I think Bob is just so caught up with kind of being back to what he used to be um but one of the things i liked a lot is that they don't just have bob struggle like in the first like 20 minutes and he then struggles forget it. the whole movie the entire movie he's the entire movie the you watch him just break down further mm-hmm. and further and further and he's just so stubborn and he's like i need to do this to prove to my wife that i can do this right you know? and i also think he wanted to prove it to himself i think that he so could be well. a good dad well, I think because um, he knew he was obsessed. Like, yeah. he was aware he, that he's obsessed with being, a, you know, yeah. that he wants that life. And he's like, I need to do this, you know. I got very cheaper by the dozen feels. I did as well. Because. I did as well. It's the same where, you know, he's, Steve Martin's like struggling to take care of the kids. And then there was a specific scene where Helen calls Bob from a hotel yep. room. And I was like picturing Bonnie, Bonnie Hunt. Hunt. Can you send me out 12 pillows, please? Yeah. So I, I like that. It was kind of like a. I guess it's something that's done in movies before, but I, I do like the the shift in dynamic between the two of them, between Helen and Bob. Yes. To shift gears a little bit, I love how much screen time Mrs. Incredible got just being on her own, mm-hmm. doing her own, you know, investigative work, doing all, of, you know, saving by herself. I loved 
that she got what you know what Bob got in the first movie because he got a lot of his own solo you know superhero saving time and like training and and I love that they gave her that bike because it allowed her to utilize her powers so well I was watching that and I was blown I didn't remember that no I I was blown away with the the way they were able the utility with her Mm -hmm. power they were like I don't know who thought of that or how they decided you know you know how they were going to make her powers work you know in this movie but just the way the utility and the the creativity i just i was wow yeah the scene where she's trying to uh catch up to the train yes and it's kind of the first time you see her on that bike yes it's just like that's everything i wanted that i mean spoiler that's my favorite scene in the movie yeah yeah i mean deservedly so i i ended up going with a different scene but that would have been my favorite scene ahead i just i I mean, jumping ahead, I just felt like I needed to pick an action scene. Yeah. Because, and it blew me. I was, like, yeah. so engaged with that scene. Yeah, and I like, I don't know, I like that she doesn't have to worry about the kids. Yep. She trusts Bob enough to know that he can handle, I mean, she asks about them when she calls, but I like that she's not so focused on the kids that she can't be her own person and, and be able to be a hero. Um in just every action sequence with her, like, I felt like they introduced a new aspect of her power, and I was like, okay, like. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I loved that so much. What are your thoughts on Jack-Jack as a character? I'm mixed feelings, because I think some of the humor with Jack-Jack really worked. One of the scenes that made me laugh is, it doesn't really have anything to do with his powers, but Bob's, like, reading a book to him, (laughs) and he's falling asleep, and Jack-Jack, like, slaps him in the face. I think at times Jack-Jack was a good addition, but I also feel like it was just overboard at times. I just felt there was too much of him. Like, I liked the part where, like, when Frozone Lucius comes over, Mm -hmm. and they're, like, he's showing him the cookies and and everything, and there's that part where they're just sitting on the couch together and and he just has this like look on his face like he's like what are you doing with your life like what is this part of me was like thought they spent too much time on him i agree it's fine he's a fine character i just didn't need as much yeah i would have preferred to have more time spent on dash or violet i agree just because those are characters that have been developed in the first movie and i don't necessarily feel like we get to see as much development at least power wise with them i wish we would have been able to see a bit more yeah them develop uh, helen and got so much mm-hmm. i mean mr incredible's power is is his strength well and he he got development a lot in the first movie and he got emotional and yeah. mental development into you know into parenthood and whatnot which i think was what he needed this movie mm-hmm. as he was not the lead i think that was the right choice yeah. but i wish we would have been able to see a bit more because they really only got to do stuff at the end yeah the boat um i think one of my issues with this movie also was the new side characters yeah i didn't really care about them i didn't really care about any of the new supers i will say the one i like well you like the one voiced by sophia bush yes because she's voiced by sophia because it's sophia bush um she had cool powers i wish they would have done more with her yeah see like i wish that's what i wish maybe the time spent on jack jack would have been for some of those make her her sidekick yeah because she out of all the new people introduced to me had the most interesting powers i mean they did a lot of stuff with her but i feel like yeah you could you could have done a lot more. more yeah um i will say though villain screenslaver great 
one of the most compelling Pixar villains. I I think the complexity with um, her character and her relationship with her brother mm-hmm. and her parents and her views towards supers, very compelling. Like, really smart, obviously. Um, the thing I really liked is it's interesting how both siblings live through the same tragedy and with their father being killed, and they kind of come out of it in different ways. Yeah, they so, took different things away from yeah. it. Yeah, so Winston sees it as because the supers were banished, that's why they couldn't get to the dad. Whereas Evelyn sees it as since the dad relied so heavily on the supers, that they, and he, he wouldn't go to the safe yeah, room, the that's mom why he died. This, right. Um, so I really like that. It's interesting. I just think I like how they, you don't really know. I mean, you can kind of, I remember when I first saw it, I kind of could figure it out. Eventually you can put the pieces together. But they're masked the whole entire time, the, the screen slaver. So you never really know who that villain is. And that, that fight in the in apartment the, uh, is very intense. Yeah. It's a very intense... I, that's probably why it's right PG, because she's getting zapped. Yeah, and... I remember, like... I was like, if I were a kid, I might be a little scared. A little because scary, it's like a yeah. dark room. I just, I just like something. What? So when we went and saw this movie... Did you get scared? No, no, no. We were sitting in the theater, and they play the Pixar shorts. <gasps> oh, my God. And it was the short... Bow. Bow, where the lady has her dumpling kid and just eats him at the end. And I remember it was the first time either of us had seen it. We literally both just looked at each other. I gasped in the theater. <laughs> and no one else had a reaction. Nobody else reacted. And me and Melissa just looked at each other like, did that really just happen? I, I gasped. I made a sound. Because oh, I was so... I just thought about that. I was like, she just ate her child. I yeah. get the I get the symbolism, but yeah, you're right. That was... I'd I forgotten about, about that. that. Um, what I'll say about Incredibles 2 is I don't think it lives up to Incredibles. Here's what I'll say. I don't think it's the best Pixar sequel, mm-hmm. but I just love that family. No, I agree. I love that family, and the story is serviceable. It's a, you know, there's a compelling villain. Mm-hmm. It's a solid story. I think there are a few issues, some things. I'd say a little bit of the plot in the middle. Yeah. Got slow for me. There's... There's a few things here and there, yeah. like, I think, but I think it's a solid... No, it's definitely it's solid. It's a solid movie. It's definitely I solid. I probably ranked it higher than it deserves to be ranked, but... I think I ranked it pretty high, I don't... But I just, I just love the family, yeah. I love the character dynamics, I love the powers, it, you know? It does, both the first and the second one do a really good job of making all the main characters really likable. A hundred percent. I talked about it in the first one, kid characters sometimes annoy me. I'm not really annoyed by the kids, Violet and Dash. Like, I think they're both really good, compelling kid characters, especially because they're side. They don't get a ton of time. But, no, they they do a good job of making all their characters likable. Speaking of characters, who was your favorite? Oh, it's incredible. Oh. Are you kidding me? Yes. It's a, who else would it be? There's no other answer. There's no other choice. She. I just wrote, I mean, so I'm, I'm glad she got it. I just wrote, she's a badass. Yeah, I wrote, she's so cool. And I already talked about, I think the best scene in okay. this movie is the train, that, the bike and the train chase. The Just, only yeah. reason that I picked the scene I picked was simply for the music. That's, uh, that, I mean, in the first movie, that's why I picked yeah. the scene I picked was because of the music. Um, it's the final scene when they're trying to 
stop the boat and turn it. It's just the music playing. Oh, it's so good. With the action, because I love the scene with her that you picked on the motorcycle. That was going to be my favorite. And then I heard that music and I was like, it's just simply because the music was done so well. That was when I was considering as well. I thought about that as well. Favorite line. So I did this one mostly for how it was delivered. Okay. Um, So it's Bob and Helen, I think are in the motel, like having a conversation. Okay. And he goes, (laughs) one, do this right get well paid and we're out of the motel and things get better for all supers including our kids or two i find a job in two weeks or we're homeless and it was just the way he delivered that line it was just done so well so i think my quotes from around the that scene um it's well it's after they meet with winston yes and yeah um and evelyn and uh she says to help my family i got to leave it to fix the law i gotta break it it's that's actually the same exact scene. Is it? I was going to say, I feel like it's the same because scene. Because when I did yeah. my favorite line, I just wrote down the time thing, and I said multiple lines could yeah. be my favorite scene. Because that was actually a really good scene. Yeah, I really, show, yeah, I love that scene. Um, Bob and Helen's dynamic, mm-hmm. because that's when he's kind of like, yeah, you're right, I'm doing this partly because I want it for myself. Right. And I thought that whole scene was done really well. There was really good lines in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Incredibles 2 is just simply good. Incredible. incredible. All right. All right, now on to another sequel. So we have reached the point where the last two movies, neither of us had seen ever before this ranking yep. and list um, we and going in order. going in blind. Going in completely blind for Toy Story 4 and onward. So Toy Story 4 came out in 2019. It's rated G. Back to on the G. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop myself okay. right there. Yeah, let's just not... We're back. G. We're back to G. Yes. Instead of PG. And we're and it's an hour and forty minute runtime. Okay. Uh, box office. It stayed above a billion. Still, it was below Incredibles two, but just barely. Okay. So Toy Story four had a Rotten Tomato score of ninety seven percent, and had a Metacritic score of eighty four, and a Cinema score of A. It also won Best Animated Feature okay. last year. Yep. So summary of Toy Story four. When Woody, Buzz, and the gang join Bonnie on a road trip with her new craft project turned toy Forky, the innocent little sporks' hilarious antics launch Woody on a wild quest filled with unexpected new characters and one long-lost friend. I don't know. I, I'm so... I, th- I was going to sleep on it. And... Were you confused by this movie? Yes. Okay. I so my first thought I have is I'm really not sure what to expect because I thought three was a great ending. Mm -hmm. I don't think we, I thought that was a great way to end the series. I didn't think we needed Needed a four anymore. And this movie was, I don't, I still don't know. I and I still am very confused. Yep, we can we can talk about it. I just want to. So my first note, I've been so curious about Andy's mom, because. (laughs) We really don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about her. It's so interesting to me, and I've said this before, that we really... I guess we don't need to know anything about his mom, but for some reason I just, like, want to know a little backstory I know. And then I got... I was excited because I saw that guy walk in, and I was like, is this her boyfriend? I was like, that was so weird. He yeah. Just, I was like, if, if that's not someone she's, like, seen, he, she literally just let that man into their house. Yeah, so I, that's why I was, I, I thought I missed the context, maybe, or something, because I was like, wait, who's this guy? Like, is this, like, a stepdad or something? Yeah. But then it didn't I seem like it was that was someone right. she knew. I don't really know. I'm not sure. 
I knew going into this movie that it was focused on Bo Peep. And I was very interested to see how that would go because of all of the side characters from Toy Story, she got the least amount of time and things to do. Toy Story 1, she's just kind of like Woody's love interest. Yeah. Toy Story 2, she doesn't do anything. Toy Story, Toy Story 3, she... they just got rid of her. They also didn't really mention her, maybe They once. mentioned her once because they were talking about all the toys they lost and he's like Bo Peep. <gasps> and then at the beginning of this movie, we get this weird rescue mission in a gutter. <laughs> I'm so confused. In the gutter. Um, and I was like, what's happening? That's So that's when she, I guess... It was seven years back from that current time. Right. That's when she um, was taken in a was box. Was taken. I, just, I was so confused. I was very thrown off. I thought it was a very touching scene with her in the box and Woody in the box where she's like, you could come with us. And yeah. he hears Andy calling and he's like, I can't. He's my kid. But I felt like I had missed something. Yeah. Like it felt just very disjointed or something i don't know yeah and then uh, jumping ahead a little bit but i i felt like some of the characterizations were really off yeah like woody the whole point of the third movie is woody being you know wanting to be supportive of andy but then also being like okay well i can be this new child's toy and Mm -hmm. you know and i can be there for her and support her and love her and then i feel like he just decided that he wasn't because he wasn't the number one toy he immediately was like nah i'm done and he even like at the beginning when he kept getting left in the closet he like basically snuck into her backpack so he could be with her yeah and i didn't like that because i felt like i was like did we not just end the third movie with this whole me finally liking woody for the first time i know and then he's back to season or uh, and then um Because it was weird because, remember, Andy was going to try to keep Woody, but Bonnie, like, was like, that's my cowboy, and, like, I mean, clearly kids, you know, they have different preferences of their favorite toys, you know, that's, you know, I mean, look at Forky. And I think when you're younger, too, your favorite toy changes a lot. Yeah, but it just seemed odd, and then, do you feel like Buzz was really incompetent in this movie? Yeah, Buzz... I didn't like what they did with his character. I just, I I wrote a note about that because I was like, Buzz, I feel like he was always the one with the plan. Right. I wrote down, um, I said, why is Buzz now incompetent? He led the mission to the department store, right. Al's Toy Barn. I feel like with the new characters they added, it took away from... All the old characters. Pretty much all the old characters. Jesse did nothing. Jesse, Bullseye was non-existent. No, Jesse was basically just there for I, a here's, here's what I'll say. I understand Mr. Potato Head basically had zero lines in this movie. His voice actor did pass away right. um, before this movie came out. I understand that they wouldn't want to replace him, but like Mr. Potato Head always had the best lines, yeah. like the best one-liners, and I was really missing that. Him and like Rex. And, yeah, and Rex, um, and I just, they they were just there. They were just there to be in the background. So John Ratzenberger reprises Ham again. Um, the humor, just... I want to talk about a specific scene because I was so thrown off. The humor, yeah, the humor was all over the place. So Forky gets made and he keeps trying to crawl in the trash. And they they ham-fisted that joke. 
into the garbage trash where it belonged because and then there was a song there was a whole song montage about him trying to climb in the trash and i'm like what is this i was like what am i watching i wanted to believe there was some deeper meaning and i was trying to convince myself that maybe forky didn't understand his value and what he was trying to show him his value but i really think it was just he kept saying, I'm a spoon or a spork, I'm yeah. made for trash. Like, I get used and I get thrown away. Forky. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love Tony Hale. Love Buster Bluth. Mm-hmm. He's a monster. We all know this. But Forky is maybe the worst Toy Story character that there's ever been. I would equate it to... How I feel when Mater comes on the screen. <laughs> Not as bad because yeah. I hate Mater. But he's he's less invasive into your face. I just felt like Forky took up so much time. And I would have loved to see more of um <laughs> the bunnies. Okay. But here's my problem. The problem I have is I I loved them. I will talk about the best humor in the movie, but I only heard Keegan-Michael Key, Key and Peele. Yeah. I, I didn't even know they were in this movie, but I was like, that's that's Keegan-Michael yeah. Key, and I'm like, that's probably Jordan Peele. I'm like, it's probably Key and Peele. But I will say, I got one genuine, like, hearty laugh out of me. I think it's the, the same key, The key scenarios. <laughs> the key scenarios, I thought, that was that was so a, a recurring joke that was not it old. It worked. It worked so well. Um, and I think it's because of the char- the, the voice actors. Yeah. I think my biggest issue was Bo Peep was supposed to, I feel like, get her moment or get her due, whatever, because she got shit on the whole franchise. But even, I feel like she didn't get a moment. But she, I, what I don't like is I feel like still Bo Peep is used as Woody's romantic interest. interest. And I don't like that, and I don't know, I, I had a lot of really complex mixed feelings because I got really emotional at the end of this movie. I, yeah, I was, it was all over the place. And I don't know if, if I hadn't had watched Coco recently, I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe it would have had a little bit of a more emotional impact. Oh, wait, hold on. When Bonnie... I have two things I think you're going to talk about. I, I wrote about you twice in my notes. I, my first note is that Bonnie is Hannah when Bonnie was going to her first day of preschool yes. or kindergarten and was like hiding like my mom went to pick me up from my first day of preschool and the teacher told her that I sat in the corner <laughs> Hannah so there's home video there's a home video um Hannah and I went to the same preschool but there were two different classrooms I was in the older classroom she was in the younger classroom my mom was taking home video and uh, it's like Hannah's in my class. I think we're playing with like dolls and washing babies or something. I don't know. And you can see me. I'm having the time of my life. I'm having a great time. And Hannah's just staring, staring. <laughs> she looks terrified. She's just staring into the abyss. And then later on, the teacher's like, Hannah didn't talk to anyone. She sat in the corner. She sat in the corner all day. For like three hours. She just, yeah, she just sat in the corner. Uh, she didn't do anything. She didn't talk to anyone. She was a mute. Uh, and then she went home and she eventually got better at it. But watching Bonnie, one, hide, not say anything, and also sit by herself, I'm like, Bonnie's yeah. Hannah. Yeah. Um, so, going back to Woody, I feel like they're trying to show that ever since 
he's been without Andy, he's, like, lost. Like, he can't find his place. And I don't know that having him end up with Bo at the end and them just kind of going wherever made sense to me. It didn't Um, make sense. One thing I think we should talk about is that this movie went through rewrites. Yeah. Initially, it was Rashida Jones, of all people, was one of the screen, you know, the script writers of this movie. And then I don't remember if her and I think she had a writing partner. I don't know if they left on good terms, but they they left the project um, at some point during the production and other people took over. I don't have a list of the people in front of me, but yeah. I just noticed in the credits that there were several people li- listed with, like, screenwriting and writing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if maybe that factors into it. Yeah. Another thing I just wanted to ask, because I, I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but with Cars 3, I felt like that movie, to me, um, really added and helped out the franchise a lot. Uh, I, I say 100% too many times, so uh, yes. Yeah. It definitely helped the franchise end on a high note so going off of that i'm pretty sure i know your answer do you feel like toy story 4 added and really helped out the franchise or do you feel like it would have been better just to have ended it with three okay so i i mean we talked about this ending but toy story 3 might still be the best ending of a pixar Mm -hmm. movie in general just not even Toy Story, but just Pixar. I thought it was such a strong, sweet, sentimental message about growing up and also all of the kids who saw Toy Story when they were Andy's age mm-hmm. and then were going to college. It just felt right. And the way it ended, I didn't need more. Yeah. And I honestly don't think this movie is a good end to the franchise. I don't want another one. I don't want a, a Toy Story 5. Please, we need don't, to stop. don't make a Toy Story 5. I, we don't need any more in this franchise, but I I don't think the finale was as strong to me. I, I mean, I liked Buzz here's and what, Woody. Here's what I'll say. Buzz and Woody's hug was maybe the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just because they had such a... I mean, Buzz and Woody have such a long-lasting, strong bond that, you know transcends from you know the beginning to now you know years and years so i really liked how buzz was the one was like she'll be fine you you need to find yourself you need to be happy and you know Um, i liked that aspect of it but i guess one of the things that concerned me is favorite scene like i had a hard time and not because there was too many choices because there were so I few had a hard time because i honestly couldn't think of my favorite scene i i had the same thing i i kind of picked two i picked a funny one clearly it's the key scenario yeah because that was i was laughing that's what i ended up going with because i guess we can just go into it yeah i was gonna say the two i picked i picked the key scenario and i picked the specifically the final goodbye between mm-hmm. woody and buzz because yeah. I, I really felt, I could feel the emotion in that hug. Yeah. That scene, though, where they were going through the different ways to get the key. So funny. Like, I lost it. So funny. The one where they're like, why are we getting all this detail about yeah. following, you know, she goes home, she's having a glass of wine right. in her bathtub. He's like, keep waiting, keep waiting. Yeah. I loved it because, like, Buzz's face when he's just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And they're like, oh, okay, I gotcha. 
and I agree, the final scene. I mean, my favorite line was, I think it was the last line, uh, Buzz says about Woody, he goes, he's not lost, not anymore, and then it goes to infinity and, and beyond. beyond. Yeah. Just because of the nostalgic. But I, I don't know, I just had a hard time, I even had a hard time picking a favorite character. Yeah, favorite character, I really struggled because... I didn't like Woody. I thought Buzz... Like, I like Buzz, but I felt like they made him so incompetent. And then I was trying to think of who's the other leads. Well, we I, haven't even mentioned the antique store. I just, like, didn't want to talk about that. It was creepy. <laughs> Here's my second note. There will be foul language if you are sensitive of hearing. Fuck this antique store. I hate creepy dolls. Hannah's going to hate this. Yeah. I wish I could erase all that from my memory. It was weird. Did you say your favorite character? I didn't. I went with Bo Peep. I picked Bo Peep basically by default. But I, did I also as well. wasn't. I wish her character could have gotten better. I had to pick her because I wasn't going to pick Woody and I wasn't going to pick Buzz and there really wasn't another no. main ish character to pick from. I just. I don't know. I, it concerns me that. I feel like for a lot of movies I've had either two or three people I'm picking between favorite character and there's usually a couple scenes and lines. I mean, the first Toy Story was one of the hardest to pick a line for. Oh, it was so many. Personally, I don't feel like this movie for me added much. Yeah, I I don't think so either. I was really happy with the the third, how it ended. I, I mean, clearly I know why they made it. Because oh, look yeah. how much money it's it made. It's a money grab. But... We, we had talked about this. We said when we finished Toy Story, we did the podcast Toy Story 3, we said, how do you go from such that good ending, such a perfect ending like that, and, and find a way to make it work? And I don't feel like they did. I don't think so either. Um, I don't know. I, just... I, I don't know. I, I just feel like the story wasn't good. No. I'm ready to move onward. Oh, I didn't do my quote. I'm sorry. You didn't let me do my quote because you kept talking over top of it and you dragged on too long. I'm it sorry. Was such a good. You could do it after I do oh my, my quote. Let me okay, do my quote, fine. and then then you can get it. okay. So, um, the quote I went with is Woody, and he was saying like I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Yeah. Like talking to Buzz because he's like I don't remember this with Bonnie like Andy. I don't remember it being this hard. Right. I thought that was really interesting. That it's kind of like a parent talking about their kid. Where like it's how like, how it's different, right? How it, yeah. Like when uh, the transition from my brother to me, when I was a menace, terror, and uh, I don't remember it being this hard. Probably accurate. Yeah, I'm sure. Our parents said that at some point about me. Yep. And with that, hey, you want to move onward? Oh my God, you stole my joke. <laughs> I will not forget you for that. Okay. Okay. We're going to onward. Um, I got to flip my page. Which, came out this year 2020 2020 it so this is going to be an interesting one um because clearly the box office numbers are going mm-hmm. to be abysmal i was going to mention that yeah there's no um nominations yet so box office it was 138 million which is crazy which obviously it came out right when the pandemic it was starting came out, wasn't it like it was March. two weeks right before everything yeah. shut down most so, places Obviously the box office, and then it got released to Disney to Plus, Disney Plus. Like, pretty quickly after. So obviously it was going to take a huge hit. Um, so Onward was um, rated PG. 
runtime of an hour and 42 minutes. And um, the in terms of ratings, it has an 88% Rotten Tomato score, a Metacritic of 61, and a Cinema score of A-. Um, so summary, it's um, in Disney and Pixar's Onward, Elf Brothers, Ian and Barley get to spend a day with their late father and go on a quest. When their mom, Laurel, realizes her sons are gone, she teams up with the Manticore to find them. This is interesting because we both just watched this. Today. We watched it separately, but we both watched it within Today. the past like five or six hours. Yes. Um, so I haven't really had time to fully process it. I haven't either. I'm also very conflicted on it. So in terms of this being a Pixar movie, it doesn't feel like a Pixar movie. I would agree. Except for the ending feels Pixar. Yeah. But I was just watching this movie and not that I didn't like it, but I just something about the way the movie was either like presented or the story. It just, I was, I would just, this is like the good dinosaur levels of it doesn't feel like Pixar. I would say it was better than The Good Dinosaur. Oh, I, I mean, not in terms of, like, actual quality got, of the movie, you, but in terms of it just yeah. not feeling um, like there wasn't that Pixar spark yeah. to it. I mean, my first note was I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. I also said um, I know next to nothing about this movie, but it seems pretty intense from the get-go. There was already, like, some some crazy music going on. Some And, um... It was very, like, Lord of the Rings-ish at the beginning. It was. I was like, is that Gandalf? <laughs> Gandalf! Because we I must know. turn back! Um, I, what, what I will say is it's interesting because Pixar doesn't do a lot of, like, really fantasy, like... What am I trying D&D to D&D It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like, so that was interesting. I struggled, though, with some of the voice because I couldn't not hear Chris Pratt... I actually wrote a note about that because I knew Chris Pratt and Tom Holland were the brothers. And right. it was interesting because I couldn't really hear Tom Holland no, but as, as um, Ian. Ian. I couldn't hear. I was trying to remember which but one was Ian, which was Barley. all I could hear was Andy Dwyer. I, that's what I was going to say. Tom Holland, like, I didn't, I was, props to Tom Holland for, for doing a great voice acting because I barely like at certain points i could kind of hear him a little bit yeah. but at the very beginning of the movie i just i was like i know this is tom holland but i couldn't hear him but then it, i heard chris pratt and i'm like oh it's chris pratt i think okay. if i hadn't known it was tom holland i probably wouldn't, I have, wouldn't known. have known um also julie louis dreyfus i could is tell it was her i could tell she it was, was her mom. and she's back she hasn't voiced a pixar character since yeah. princess ada john rotzenberg er plays a character named fenwick i also thought i heard bonnie hunt in there i thought i did too okay. Did you feel like Ian was very Linguini-esque? Yes. I literally... That, that was one of my notes that I wrote down. I literally was like, he reminds me very... He's not the typical, like, main character. I will say it was very creative in the way it did certain things. Yep. Like, who thinks about resurrecting your dead dad, but all you get is legs? Yep. I think, though, what I really liked, what was interesting, is you think it's going to be a movie about like father and son's bonding and it ends up really just becoming brothers a relationship between the brothers and pixar hasn't really done many sibling relationships i mean you have incredibles you have like violet and dash but they're not the focus no but this is like one of the first times that pixar's actually done a sibling relationship 
Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I couldn't really because I was like, we've got like mother daughter, we've got like parent, right? And, you know, we don't child. do a lot of sibling relationships. Um, I really like their dynamic, and I think it's similar with Monsters Inc., where it really relies on character interactions. I agree. Um, the character relationships really drives the story because I felt like the plot was confusing at times. It was the plot had some issues i think in terms of pacing and i didn't necessarily think it had the strongest side characters i really liked their mom yeah but i agreed there was but like the the, the random side characters like the the pixies the, uh boyfriend uh centaur boyfriend cop, boyfriend was, whatever i don't know it was, it was strange it but i i did Can like we, the relationship. wait uh, talking about the centaur boyfriend were you disturbed when he just randomly had like long hair and slapped his own ass <laughs> <laughs> yes i literally wrote the last couple minutes is the weirdest thing it reminded me of blades of glory where they just <laughs> shoot off in the sky and they they went off grease style it was in a flying so car strange. i think for me one of the things that i did like is that Ian thinks that he needs his dad for all this stuff in his life. He has, like, a list of everything. Um, and he realizes towards the end of the movie that Barley was the one who... Was always there for was him. Was encouraging him and, and the one who taught him all that stuff. Basically, it was his father yeah. figure. And did you... I kind of liked how they ended it with Barley being the one who got to talk to the dad. I thought that was a nice twist. Yeah. Because I felt like the movie was... The whole time was setting up how Ian wants this relationship with his father you know he starts the movie wearing his sweatshirt you know he's mm -hmm. the one who has the magical powers he's you know doesn't have any memories of his dad and he doesn't have anything to hold on to and barley you know i really liked that basically he tells him that his last memory of him is bad that he yeah. regrets not being able to say goodbye to him because i mean he was a kid you know and he well was he was scared. scared because he saw all the tubes and everything and i um, liked that ian was able to put aside his feelings and realize that you had a father you we, need to get closure with him yeah. and i have you you know you're yeah he said you. i never had a father i had you and um the I exact quote if we're going to my best quotes, sure. is I never had a dad, but I always had you. Yeah. My favorite quote, because I was about to talk about, uh, Barley is kind of always seen as like a screw up. And I think in him being able to realize that he basically raised Ian, he sees that he's been able to do something right. Um, my favorite line is Barley says, he goes, it's not fair for you to call me a screw up if you don't give me a chance to do one thing right. And I thought yeah. that was like, I was like, yeah, because he's, they're dynamic because he's always the screw up, but it turns out that he was the reason that Ian grew and became yeah. more confident in himself. And Ian, you know, has always been afraid and has always wanted to be like his dad. And this whole time he didn't realize that Barley really was that like father figure for him. Yeah, I thought that was really, really <laughs> the strength of the movie was the, yeah. the brother relationship. Uh, as I wrote, men supporting men. Always nice to see. Yes. I really liked the their relationship and the way it was portrayed mm -hmm. and the way it grew. I really liked that part, you know, where he was attached to the rope and then the rope disconnects. Mm -hmm. And, like, Barley's, like, tearing up. Yeah. Like, he's almost crying. That was actually my favorite scene. Okay. Um, because, so, Barley doesn't want him to freak out. He's trying to keep his confidence but you can see it on his face, just like how much Terrified. he realizes that if 
he doesn't believe in every step he's taking, he's about to fall and basically plummet to his death. Exactly. Um, but I also like that scene because at the end, he crosses and he goes, I needed the rope. And he's like, well, you didn't. He's like, you didn't need it. you made it. Um, so I just like that scene. I like that because it showed, to me, that was like the, that to me defined their whole relationship that moment. Uh, since we already talked about this scene, I'll just say my favorite scene was the, the checklist where he's mm-hmm. going through and realizes his brother's been doing all these things with him and has, you know, been there for him. He kind of, like, flashes back and sees yeah. and realizes that Barley was the one who was there for him. Um, my favorite character was actually Barley. I picked Barley, too. Yeah. I don't think we've seen a Pixar character like him before. No. And I really liked that they made him such a likable character, but he clearly has flaws. You know, he's carrying a lot mm-hmm. of baggage that, you know, find out later. Yeah, and he's he's had to grow up a lot. He had to basically, like, raise Ian. I mean, help raise he his He has mom. to grow up himself, but also, you know, be there for his yeah. brother. And, I mean, he's he said it himself and other characters, like, he's a screw-up, but the most important thing, he didn't screw up. What are your thoughts... Um, just before we end talking about this movie, what are your thoughts on the role of the dad in this movie? Okay, so I actually really liked that they didn't have him um, be able to, like, talk. I don't know. I liked that he wasn't a vital role. He was there, but not... He didn't really have any... Like, he didn't do anything no. that helped them with their quest. But to me, he was there to help the relationship between between Barley the brothers because when they would fight they would both kind of look at him and and realize that the dad's there and and all that i think he was kind of the like catalyst or yeah. like the bridge between the two brothers and i like even at the end you don't actually get to see the dad up close you just see his back shadow you get to see the photo of him at right the end, we you do don't see get, photos you don't really see him and he also doesn't talk at that point he talks on the um they have the video recording well i mean he talks earlier but not in that moment where him and barley have that i did like how that scene how barley kind of relays the information to Ian. i did too i liked that we didn't get to hear it i liked that we got to see it through ian's eyes like the showing not telling yeah um so i i did like that and then they just did that bizarre final like two minutes it was so weird um (laughs) i i don't know but, I mean, I definitely think it was a solid movie. I think so, too. I might have to watch it again just to really think, see how I feel about it. That's This is the movie, I think, that's the most subject to changing placements on my ranking. Yeah. I feel like it could go in either direction from where I ended up putting it based on a second viewing. Yeah. Before we get into ranking... Which we will get into, and it will be the next episode. um, Onwards, the last movie. Although we should say that Soul Soul is coming out. I well, we'll see because things everything's been. It was scheduled to come out in November, but I am really looking forward to Soul. But yeah, we have we've reached the end. We have researched. I have filled half of a notebook that I'd already written in some of, but I typed my notes. But I probably have like fifty pages worth of notes. It's honestly feels like we've been doing this forever yeah we we talked about it we over the course of about two months is how long it took us to watch 22 pixar movies yeah i mean i it's so interesting to watch them in that short of a span and also watching them in order yeah um yeah it's been quite the ride 
it's it's definitely interesting because I feel like I picked up on things that I wouldn't have watching them in order mm-hmm. and being able to see the progression. And also, like, um, some of these movies I hadn't seen since I was younger, so just picking up on, like, adult humor and stuff like that. But yeah, we are going to rank next episode. Yep, we'll be back and we will give you our official rankings and then you can roast us. Yes, I want Alyssa to cry. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to cry. I don't really care. I I mean, if I do, I still do, though. I know we talked about this probably maybe in episode one or two. I don't know. We haven't finished editing those earlier ones. But I asked you to tell me if Cars 2 was your favorite movie. Please tell me why. Please explain yourselves. Because it's not even a it's not even a spoiler. Cars two is number twenty two on my list. Here's Same. a here's a little here's a little preview for I, the next episode. I also said if anyone's favorite movie is Cars Two, they can come on our podcast. Because I want them to in person explain to me how that's well, the case. Maybe not in person because we're social distancing. Okay. I you want can, them... you can call in and talk to us about why Cars Two is your favorite movie. I need to understand because I can't. I can't fathom that. And on that note, Bye. Bye. We would like to thank Joseph McDade for our intro music. He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to find us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram by searching research, rank, repeat.